Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, hello everyone out there. Uh, We have a great guest, and he is an author and founding director of the Living Essence Foundation in Nevada City, California, which offers seminars, training programs, and courses all over the world. Arjuna Arda boldly claims that you do not need to be a yogi or a guru or a representative of an ancient tradition in order to make huge contributions to another person, to affect the unfolding of that person's deepest gifts. Instead, he says it simply requires an open heart, open mind, and the willingness to ask powerful questions. You are now listening to the Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Millions of people today all over the world are having glimpses of who they really are, all because of Arjuna Arda's techniques. He is definitely on a roll. Life must be so exciting to watch people punctuate their days with greater freedom as they explore within to a deeper depth and to a higher height. His latest book supports that snapshot glimpse beyond endless thought and reactive feeling. They say that such a moment of awakening changes everything and unleashes a wellspring of energy, humor, and love. One of our Tuna students called this moment better than sex, and so his latest book title emerged, Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. Paula, that is not all that he has accomplished. Please tell us more. No. (laughs) Arjuna, uh, he's trained uh, over 1,300 people to be awakening coaches, and as well as he works with individuals in business, prisons, churches, and in social and all humanitarian projects. Uh, He has, Arjuna, we've had you on our show before, and we're so happy to have you back again. I'm happy to be back. Thank you so much. Now, uh, Taz kind of touched a little bit about how the um, title came about in your newest book, Better Than Sex. Could you Mm. uh, expand on that little story? Sure, I'll tell you the story, absolutely. (laughs) So um, I was actually, you know, I travel around the world to different cities um, training people and, and introducing people to awakening coaching. We can talk a little bit more about what is awakening, what is coaching, why is it so exciting when we bring these two things together. So I was in Vienna, Austria, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the home to people in the past like uh, Sigmund Freud and uh, Mozart and uh, various other greats. And so I was teaching a, a workshop in Vienna, in Austria, and on the Saturday, uh, I was guiding people into awakening. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more what that is, but it's a, it's a way of going beyond thought and feeling into your true nature and discovering infinite consciousness and peace and, and infinite creativity within your own nature. So we all did that on a Saturday. They actually guided each other. I was, I was training them in how to guide each other into that kind of space. So on Sunday, everybody came back. And I wanted to do a little check-in, you know, how's everybody doing since we had this profound taste of freedom. So somebody said, well, it's incredibly peaceful. I feel incredibly peaceful. Somebody else said, I feel a lot of energy. Somebody else said, I feel all the stress has left my body. And people were sharing experiences in this way. And then one woman, who actually since then has become a good friend, 
she said, well, I feel so amazing. I just can't describe it. I feel so good for no reason. I, it's, it's, it's better than sex. And I said to her, that's it. That's the title of my new book, Better Than Sex. So that's how it, that's how it happened, and that's how it stuck. <laughs> wow. Well, Ed, do you want to go in on a little bit about uh, awakening? Because it sounds like something I want to learn to do. And I know our listeners, after you explain uh, the awakening, they're going to want to do it also. Well, awakening is actually... What we mean by awakening is actually incredibly simple. And we can certainly make it more complex if we want it to be more complex, but in its essence, it's incredibly simple. And we can actually taste it right now, you know. So yeah, sure. uh, let, me, let me just talk with one of you. Who, who, let me have a little conversation with one of you who'd like to volunteer to be my, my, uh, my conversation partner for a moment. Do you want to do it, Taz? Sure. Okay. Okay, Taz. So, Taz, this is a really simple thing. Can you hear my voice okay right now? Yes, certainly. And are all the words coming through, or is it like broken up that you're only getting some of the words? No, I, I'm actually hearing you. We're not breaking up. Right. So you're hearing everything I say. Do you have to think in order to hear the sound of my voice when the sound is already there? Um, no. Is any thought, there's no, there's no thought needed to hear sound when sound is present. Is there any effort or decision required for you to hear the sound when the sound is already there? No. And are you aware of any time delay in your subjective experience? Are you aware of time delay between the sound and hearing the sound? Um... Maybe slight amount. Well, just check again. When you hear the sound, yeah. do you notice that you hear the sound and there's a gap before you experience the hearing of the sound, or is the hearing of the sound and the experience of the hearing of the sound happening simultaneously? It's, it's you know, the same. It's the same, right. So actually what we discover is that hearing which is something that's completely already part of your experience, hearing is thoughtless, timeless, and effortless. Hearing, the experience of sound happens without thought, without effort or decision, and without time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So recognizing this, that something completely natural to you, something which is almost who you are, the capacity to hear, Recognizing it's thoughtless, timeless, and effortless, could you, just could you in this moment, relax into being that which is hearing? Since it's already here, could you just relax into being what you already are? Yes. Uh-huh. And in the same way, you're there with Paula in the studio so just take a moment and, and notice something you can see in the studio and then just describe it. Just, just something that's right in front of you. Just tell me what you can see right now. I have a photograph that's incredible. Mm. Uh, the water is rushing over the mountains and flowing mm. in, into uh, uh, kind of a pools of water. So you can see the photograph, right? You can see the photograph of the water. And when you see the photograph, does it require any thought to see the photograph when the photograph is already there? No. Does it require any effort or decision to see the photograph when the photograph is already there? No. And is there any time delay in your simple, innocent experience? Is there any time delay between the photograph being there and experiencing the photograph being there? No. So seeing is also thoughtless, timeless, and effortless, isn't it? Yes, uh-huh. In the same way, could you just relax into being that which is seeing? Lovely. Mm. So we can, in just the same way, we can do this one more time with body sensations. So... Taz, could you just scan your body and notice if, you, if there are any sensations in your body right now? 
Um, uh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, so just notice a body sensation, something you can feel in your body. And once again, just check out, when you notice a sensation in your body, do you have to think in order for the sensation to be there? No. Is there any effort or decision required to experience a sensation when the sensation is already occurring? No. And do you notice any time delay between the sensation being here and the experience of the sensation being here? No. Could you? Just could you relax into being this which feels sensations in the body? Sure. Could you relax into being that now? Mm-hmm. Yes. So very simply, and this has to be a little bit intuitive, like trusting your intuition, trusting your innocence. What does it seem to be like, this which is hearing sounds, feeling sensations, seeing objects? What does it seem to be like, this which we call me or I? If you just check into this which is experiencing this moment, what, does, what seems to be its nature? You're just, you're alert to all of the senses. Right, and what is it that's alert? If you just turn the attention to this which is hearing and seeing and feeling, what seems to be its nature? When you just check into this which is aware, what does it seem to be like? You're just in tune with your body. Okay, so what is it that's in tune? Something is in tune with the body. What is it that's in tune? How big does it seem to be? Your senses senses are in tune. I mean, it's your, your your whole body is alert. Right. And now let's just take the attention to that alertness And what can you say about that which is actually aware of the body? You say, my senses are in tune, but who is the one who's aware through the senses? What is that like? It's aware of sound. Does it make any sound in itself? No. (laughs) No, it's silent. It's silent. Yeah, it's, it's aware of the size of the photograph, but does it have any size? In, in the, does a photograph have a size? No, the, this awareness, this which is aware of the photograph. You say, I see the photograph. The photograph has size. The photograph we can measure. But yeah. this which is aware of the photograph, no, what happens no... if we try to measure that? Yeah, there's not. If you're just finally in attuned to mm. what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So the photograph has size, doesn't it? We can we can take a tape measure and measure it. If we mm-hmm. try to measure that which is aware, does that have any size? <laughs> no, not really. No. So obviously we're doing this live on the radio, you know, so it's a little bit putting you on the spot. But you see, when we investigate in this way, I'm not giving you any teaching. I'm not giving you any philosophy. I'm simply asking you questions about the nature of your own subjective experience. And what we discover, what we discover is that that which is your true nature is actually silent. It makes no sound. It's infinite. It has no limits. It has no dimensions. If we continued investigating together, if we spent a little more time on this, we can also discover that it's completely at peace. It's aware of all the chaos and the change of thoughts and feelings, but this awareness is peaceful, is still, is silent. Mm -hmm. It's also... Funnily enough, if we dive a little more deeply into investigating, we discover 
that it is love itself. It's not loving. It's not that it's uh, it's not that it's uh, has emotions, but it is it is love itself. It is that which causes us to have the experience of love. It's the source of all creativity. It's the source of all well-being. Now, to recognize this, for the attention to really return back to our own intrinsic nature, for the attention to touch into who we really are, that is a moment or a taste of awakening. Waking up from the trance of being glued to thoughts and feelings and recognizing that which is aware of thoughts and feelings. This kind of taste, of course, we've just brushed on the surface of it today because, you know, we're, we're doing this live on the radio, right? But, but just a little taste of this is deeply transformative. If we can have a little more of a sustained taste, even for just a few minutes, it deeply transforms the nature of our experience because in the absence of recognizing that, we become beggars. In the absence of recognizing this vast consciousness, we become beggars, we become addicted to trying to get things from the world. When you recognize this spaciousness, which is your true nature, when you recognize what is awareness, you become an emperor or an empress. Your disposition towards the world becomes one of giving, of blessing, of creativity, of resourcefulness, instead of one of trying to get things for yourself. So this is awakening. You know, it's been actually, this kind of awakening has been at the core of many great traditions. You know, it's, this is what happened with Jesus when he recognized, I and the Father are one. It's what happened with Buddha when he sat under the Bodhi tree. So what's happened with many of the people we look up to historically. What's different today is that we are, millions and millions of people are touching into this kind of awakening, free of any hierarchy, free of any organization, particularly free of any kind of patriarchy. So they're discovering this in, in pure innocent experience without it being part of a dogmatic system or without it being part of a, 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 some kind of belief system. And it's deeply transforming the nature of people's experience of themselves and their relationship to the world. Arjuna, you know, I, um, I, I think maybe that I connect into it this way, like I'll come into the kitchen area and I'll see the flowers and, I'll, and it's almost as if they talk, they talk to me and I'm connected with them. And it's yeah. automatic and sometimes I've thought to myself, that is really strange. You know, mm-hmm. but you know, but you can actually uh, like hear them talk, or like they they need water or whatever. You know, there, it's some kind of level that you really you know that they're te- you're touching base with another um, <coughs> area, and I think it's it's silent, right? You know, right? Yeah. So what you've just said is very beautiful. You know, you, you've, you've described it in terms of a plant, but we could we could imagine that in <coughs> excuse me <coughs> in many areas. What you're describing is the dissolving of separation, the dissolving of feeling separate from things. Now, just yesterday, on Sunday. I did, and excuse me, I'm just going to get water because I'm uh, choking here. Just yesterday on Sunday, I did a little emergency coaching session with someone who works (coughs) in one of the, (coughs) excuse me, one of the uh, largest technology companies in the world. Uh, So (coughs) the, um, the decisions he makes... have enormous consequence. He's a senior executive in a huge technology company. And he was experiencing a lot of separation, judgment, um, feeling intimidated by somebody else within the organization. Now that, of course, 
had a big impact on him personally and his well-being. But it also, those kind of little conflicts that happen between people all the time, they actually have a big, a big impact on everybody. Because when there's conflict within a company that's, doing, that's impacting people all over the world, it's going to impact, it's going to have impact on the decisions those companies make, which affect all of us. So in just a few minutes, working with him at home, we were able to completely dissolve the feeling of separation he was experiencing with this other person. Now, so what you've described with your, with your plant in your kitchen, it's a really great sign that it's possible to shift into a, a, a state of consciousness, a different way of experiencing reality where the separation is gone and you feel more of a sense of oneness. When you can have that experience, imagine now if a politician, imagine if Obama was to have that same feeling of separation dissolving with Putin, right, in Russia. That would have huge consequences for lots of people. Imagine if, um, imagine if we had that same kind of dissolving of separation among the leaders of the political parties. Imagine how much energy would get freed up. Imagine how much understanding and cooperation would be possible and how much energy we could put towards solving problems like global warming and imbalances in the economic system if people stopped feeling so separate from each other. Not that they have to agree on everything, but just like you and the plant, that you can, you can actually intuitively feel the needs of another life form and, and recognize that you are actually waves in the same ocean. So the consequence of this kind of dissolving of separation is enormous. What we need more than anything, what we're crying out for today is simple technologies which will allow us to make that real. Simple technologies which will allow us to shift consciousness in a reliable, easy way without having to change our beliefs, without having to join any kind of organization, without having to become dependent upon anybody. We need simple technologies that are as simple as getting a tune-up on your car. Now, in, in your book, uh, hmm. you, you have a technology where uh, you, it was a story about a, a nurse who worked with yeah. um, cancer patients. And she would do a method of breathing or bringing in that person uh, connecting with the person before even getting out of her car to go see the, the patient. Could you explain that a little bit more, um, how that can be done? Sure, 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 sure. Well, first of all, before I explain it, let me just say first, bless you for reading the book. <laughs> I know that these days, you know, people are, less people are reading books, so it's really gratifying that you took the time to read the book. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that's a really good example. Now, who was that? Was that Paula asking or was that Taz asking? That's Paula. Paula, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so Paula, um, so that's a really good example. That, that is a tool which historically comes from Tibet prior to Buddhism reaching Tibet. It comes from the Bon tradition in Tibet, which goes back thousands of years. It's a technique which is known in Tibet as Tonglen. And so it has a, it has a, you know, it's been tested out for thousands of years, but of course it gets easily mixed up with um, beliefs and rituals and so on that are part of a culture which is very different from our own. So I've been able to extract the essence of that technique, which really has to do with allowing your experience to ride on the breath. So the way that you practice that is very simple which is first you need some kind of access to infinite consciousness in the way that I was just experimenting with Taz, that you have some recognition of your true nature beyond the contraction into thought and feeling. And then you practice absorbing, right, absorbing the content of your experience home on the breath into that infinite consciousness. So instead of seeing, in her case, she was working with a cancer patient. Instead of seeing the cancer patient as separate, she was absorbing his thoughts and feelings and body sensations on her in-breath 
into consciousness, into awareness, into universal space, and then breathing out blessing. So it's a little hard to explain that, but it's, um, it's like you with the in-breath, everything just collapses back through the window of your heart into stillness. And on the out-breath, everything is recreated. Now, this is actually quite natural. You probably know, you know in, the, in the most, most huge context, the universe itself is expanding and contracting. We're in an expansive phase right now. But the universe is like a breath. You know, it's like everything collapses back into stillness. Everything expands out from stillness. But it also happens, there are many rhythms like that, where throughout the day, things are collapsing back into emptiness when you sleep, recreating out of emptiness when you're awake. So it's natural. These rhythms are natural. If you practice absorbing on the in-breath, blessing on the out-breath, it completely changes your experience of people and things and situations. Now, one thing we've got, one little caveat we've got to make, very, very important here. We're not absorbing things into the body. That's why we need access to spaciousness, to limitless consciousness. We're not absorbing into the body, and we're not absorbing into what you think of as your emotions or your thoughts. That would actually be not a good idea to absorb somebody else into your physical or emotional body. You're absorbing into consciousness, into infinite space where no trace remains. And then you're blessing out of infinite space. So you, you need to have some degree of awakening, which is very, very easy to have. You need to have a taste of awakening for this to work. But then it actually, awakening becomes a very powerful platform for compassion, for really feeling a dissolution of separation with another person. So the person that you worked with Sunday, uh, the CEO, mm. did you have him... But not actually a CEO, but an executive, yes. It, it's right. a, it's a, he works for one of the biggest companies in the world. So did you have him do that particular practice with the person that um, he was having conflict with? Actually, I, I, I taught him a, another practice, which I can describe to you. These are all very, very practical things, incredibly practical tools to change the quality of your experience, and that has practical results. Now, what I did with him, very similar, is I had him imagine the person who he was having a difficulty with. I had him then speak to her in his imagination, and then to imagine just listening. So he... he in his, in his uh, imagination, he would speak to her, listen to her speak back, speak to her, listen to her speak back. So in his imagination, he was recreating the feeling of conflict that he had been experiencing in his outer life. And then after we'd done that for some time, I had him speak to her, and then I had him stand up in the room, stand up and move his body to another chair and actually sit down into her. So he became her, right? He became the person he was in conflict with and felt what it was like from the inside to have these kind of emotions and thoughts and body sensations. He actually became the other person. Then again, he stood up and became himself again. Now, that's a revolutionary step because we are usually so glued to my thoughts, my feelings, my body sensations. We have such a rigid sense of being a separate identity. It's very unusual to slip out of that habit of being me and to actually become another person to move backwards and forwards. When he did that, of course, the feeling of conflict dissolved because he realized that his experience was just one perspective, one point of view. Her, expect, her experience was just another point of view. They were just like different camera angles on the same situation. When he was able to move fluidly backwards and forwards between himself and the other, first of all, the conflict dissolved because he realized that it was just, he contained both points of view. But it also raises a really interesting question. If you can start to shift fluidly between who you think you are and the other, and so you can move backwards and forwards between them, then it raises the question, well, who are you really? If this person you thought you were is really just like a t-shirt that you can take on and put off again and if you can slip into another t-shirt and feel what that's like then who are you really who is the awareness that can embrace both of these identities when you discover that awareness you become love instead of being a person you become love 
Instead of being a rigid belief trapped inside a body, you become awareness, you become presence. And I would suggest that is the foundation for really great leadership. It's the foundation for really being able to resolve conflict. It's the foundation for a, a saner, more conscious world where we can recognize a lot of our differences. The differences are not really between anything very solid. The differences that we experience in practical ways are just differences around belief. You know? Now, we can see this where there's been a lot of experimenting done in the Middle East where obviously, as you know, people in the, the Palestinian people and Israeli people have been in feeling of great conflict. Same things happened in uh, Northern Ireland and, and Southern Ireland where there's great conflict between people. If you can take those people out of their habitual conflict, put them into a room, let them get to know each other a little bit, they discover they're just people. You know, <laughs> The conflict was not really between the people. They had so much in common. They've got... They've got the same kind of fears, same kind of um, things that make them happy. They've all got children and grandchildren. They, there's so much that they share in common. The conflict was not between people. The conflict was between points of view. The conflict was between ideologies. Well, you can slip off an ideology and put it on again quite easily. You can learn what it's like to become more fluid, more flexible in your consciousness. Then conflict dissolves. That is the most effective way to dissolve conflict between people. Well, <laughs> too bad our governments aren't practicing that. It would make the world a lot better. Well, yeah, let, but let's, let me just pause you there for a minute because, you know, um, I'm not really always able to talk about all the people I work with because I have confidentiality agreements. But, you know, things are changing very fast. Now, I'm not... Right now, I'm not personally working with the President of the United States, I must admit, but I am working with people in government. I am working with people in Hollywood. I am working with people in leadership positions in big companies, and it's amazing. It's amazing today how open people are. People in very powerful positions are very, very open to experimenting with getting more fluid and flexible in their consciousness because the faster things speed up, the faster the change speeds up, the less you can rely upon predetermined strategy. Let me explain that. If you go back to the 1950s where things were not changing so fast, you could go to business school or you know, leadership school or something. You could learn strategies. This is how you do things. And then you could spend the rest of your working life just employing those strategies. This is the way it's done. As things get faster, you need to go and retrain more frequently. Right? So now, uh, if you go to business school, you're probably going to have to relearn everything every 18 months because all the technology has changed. You see, you know, we're not using faxes anymore. We're, you know, if you're not using faxes, if you're not, it used to be, you know, 30 years ago, if you wanted to do business with somebody on the other side of the world, you'd write them a letter and then you'd uh, have to fly to meet them. And uh, there, was this, there was a whole process. Well, the way you did business was determined by the technology available. Today, you can have immediate transmission of information, you can do video conferencing, and it's not just a difference of technology, it means that the, 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 the way that you make decisions completely changes. Well, that means today, people need to retrain much more quickly. The faster things speed up, the less you can rely upon predetermined strategy. Now, if we take that to, to the next level, Today, in the last years, things are, getting, things are changing so fast. The way that business happens, the way that politics happens, but also the challenges we face are changing so fast. You need a consciousness which is incredibly flexible, where you're no longer actually relying upon predetermined strategy. You have a consciousness that's so flexible that it's able to respond fluidly to the needs of each moment. So that's why... Leaders in all kinds of areas, in, in government, but also in, um, in companies, 
in all kinds of organizations, leaders are becoming more and more open to consciousness changing technologies like the kind of thing that I teach, but many other people teach them too, because that's actually what you need to be a good leader. You need to develop a profoundly flexible consciousness. So it's actually very good news. And it's, so it's, today, it's not just wouldn't it be great if leaders in politics and business and, and everything else adopted these kind of strategies. It is happening. It's happening that, these, that, that we are discovering that the solution to almost every problem lies in shifting our state of consciousness. You know, Albert Einstein is reported to have said, you cannot solve any problem in the same state of consciousness in which it was created. You can't solve any problem in the same state of consciousness in which it was created. If you want to solve a problem, you've got to actually change the consciousness and then the problem will solve itself. Arjuna, if you can actually merge with the consciousness of someone else, they still have their same opinion. How can can that be altered? Well, this is where we enter a little bit into, you know, what what historically has been thought of as magic. You know, a lot of things are called magic because we just don't understand how they work. So if, um, if you showed a cell phone, you know, today we have smartphones that have video conferencing. Like on, on an iPhone, it's called a, a, a face talk. If you showed that, if you could time travel back to your mm, great-grandparents when they were young, or even your grandparents when they were young, and you showed them a little gadget you could pull out of your pocket and press some buttons on it, and it would, uh, it would show you somebody in the other part of the world that you could talk to, they would say that's magic. They, they, would be, they would be flabbergasted. They would say that's magic. If you could say that you could, you could go to a certain building somewhere in the middle of a field and uh, go sit in a, in a metal, um, metal bird that would then fly you from one part of the world to another, you're just a hundred years ago, they would say that's magic, right? And so on and so on. So magic simply means utilizing technologies that we're not yet familiar with. Who knows what's coming next in, in physical technology? But there's also technology of consciousness. So actually, the effect of what we're talking about, it, 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 it involves a certain degree of magic, because this is what happens, you see, and I've seen this, this is how I help all kinds of leaders to dissolve conflict. And that's one of the most important things in whether it's between a leader and another leader of another company, or whether it's within a company or within a political organization, dissolving conflict is one of the most important things that we can do. So how does it work? You see, you work with somebody they experience separation dissolving within themselves. So they experience the other person within their own mind, you know. They experience the other person, they become the other. They experience the person, they become the other. So they dissolve the feeling of separation, right? Here's what happens. When they go back to work, and I've already tested this this with this man I was talking about, when they go back to work, it feels like the other person changed. And I hear this again and again. They contact me and they say, what happened? You did this process with me when I was at home. I went to work and the other person had changed their behavior. The other person was no longer so rigid. They were more open. They were more friendly. They were more open to listening to my point of view. So this is in the realm of magic, you see. It's kind of like a form of magic. You change the structures within consciousness and then outer reality changes. I can't explain to you exactly how that works, except I can say this, you know, that when we investigate quantum physics and the findings that researchers have come to with quantum physics, most of what they come up with in quantum physics appears to be a kind of magic. Now, one, I'm not going to do a very good job at this because I'm not a scientist, but one of the um, experiments which you can read about involved... A, uh, a lead screen, right, solid lead screen with two slits in it. And they fired an electron from an electron gun through a vacuum um, on one side of a, a, a long tunnel. And the electron then had to pass through one of those two slits in the uh, lead screen to reach a target on the other end. 
Well, what happened is when they measured it, the electron actually started at one end of the chamber. At high speed, it traveled down the chamber, and then it actually passed through both slits at the same time before reaching its destination. In other words, it started as a particle, it behaved as a wave, and then became a particle again. Now that's quantum physics, but if we extrapolate out what we can discover from quantum physics, we find that actually everything's everywhere. You know? <laughs> so what you think of as another person is not really another person. It's just, it's actually happening in a, in a kind of a, what Einstein called the unified field. Everything's happening in this unified field. We make it solid through thought, mm -hmm. through belief. We make things solid, and that's where magic stops. When we make things solid in a Newtonian universe, that's where magic stops. So that's the brilliance of technologies that shift consciousness, is we dissolve the rigidity of things needing to be solid of here or there, and we, we actually open ourselves to a realm of magic where things can, problems can resolve themselves on their own. Bruce Lipton, one of my colleagues, has done all kinds of investigation where people change their consciousness and cancer goes into remission overnight, but simply because they dissolve the solid belief that I've got cancer, you see, <laughs> or I've got a problem or there's something wrong with me, dissolving the belief causes reality to change. This is in the realm of magic, but more and more people are recognizing that we have to shift from a solid Newtonian way of seeing things to a quantum view in order to survive, in order to just make it through this time of rapid transition. We've got to learn yoga for our consciousness. Yoga for the body means making your body more flexible. Yoga for consciousness means making your mind and your feelings more flexible so that you, you become less of a solid entity and more of a presence. Oh. Now, as you're talking, I'm realizing mm. I, I do intuitive readings, ah. and I join in with the other person as one. So, I mean, what you're describing, I'm doing, I'm doing it, but on a for a different purpose, but that's how it works. Yeah. That's how that works, exactly. You, you, you're, you're, you're tapping into the underlying reality that you and the other person are actually the same. Just, just waves in the same ocean. That's how, that's how it's possible to have psychic information because you're, you're, you're moving a little bit below the appearance of Paul, Paula and Taz and Arjuna being solid entities you're, you're dropping from the wave dimension of things to the ocean dimension of things. In the ocean, all the waves are the same. From the perspective of the ocean, every wave is an expression of the same oceanic presence, the same oceanic consciousness. So when you actually, when you actually drop into, just into someone else's uh, vicinity or in, within them because you are capable of feeling what they feel and you understand where they're coming from, then that somehow releases, that, that releases the rigidity of the relationship is what you're saying. Absolutely. And it can go a little deeper than that. What you said is right, but you see, when you say, I understand where she's coming from, there's still an I and a her, and so there's still separation. And now I understand where you're coming from. There's still a degree of separation. We can go a little deeper than that and say, it's not just that I understand where you're coming from. You are me, and I am you. <laughs> so I can actually, I can actually, I can be you, and I can experience what it's like to be you as much as I can experience what it's like to be me. So the experience is actually not that I'm understanding you, but I'm dropping to a place where I can actually experience the situation from both perspectives. And that's where things really clear up. See, the difficulty with, with simply um, what we normally call compassion, which is, oh, I understand your position, is often that can become a kind of... Um, a kind of a, um, Apathy. an element of removal or even of being condescending. Now, let me give you a really good example of this. One of the people I've worked with using these tools 
is a very senior uh, policymaker in uh, public health, so in international public health, which means that her job is to determine policy, particularly in the United States, for helping very poor people in you know, the slums of Dhaka in Bangladesh or Nairobi in Nigeria or different, different cities like this. Okay? So she had been working a lot with you know, the allocation of public funds for how can we build better toilets for these people or, or, or give them better drinking water or etc. like that. But all the time, her perspective was, how can we, the wealthy, you know, affluent Americans, uh, give, some, give some money to help these people out so that they don't have quite such a terrible life, you see? <laughs> but that's still, that's like, okay, I'm trying to understand your position, but there's still a very much a sense of you and me, we're very different. I'm an affluent American living in Washington, D.C. You're a poor, disadvantaged person living in Mumbai in India or something. Well... As we've worked together, you see, as she's shifted her consciousness, she's recognized these are human beings that are just like me. I could easily be them. They could easily be me. In fact, she's able to experience what it's like to be them, you see. And then she realizes that they also... Okay, we're back. Hello? Oh, yeah. Hello, we're Hi. Back. Sorry, we got cut off there. Yeah, so um, you see, by, by being able to uh, become the people she was trying to help, she took a totally different perspective and realized in finding ways to, um, be, to, to be respectful, finding ways to support people to live their own creativity was a much greater gift to them than building them a toilet, you see. So, but that, that required a shift in consciousness where she had to let go of her identity of being uh, an important person in Washington, D.C., and to recognize those are just like roles we play. Under the roles, we're really the same. Under the roles, we are all the same potential of consciousness. We're all, we are all of us the ocean, which could become any wave, you see. When you, when you relax into being the ocean, you realize, I could be this wave, but I could be that wave. It's a little bit roll of the dice, which wave I become. And so in fact, from the perspective of being the ocean, you are all the waves. You are the poor people in Dhaka or Nairobi. You are the important policymaker in Washington, D.C. And you are also the corporate magnet who is taking advantage of people and causing imbalance in the world. You are all of it. You see, you are the saint and the sinner. And then we take a different perspective. It's no longer a moral position. It's a position of being one with people. That, in my opinion, is the kind of shift in consciousness, if it becomes widespread, and it is becoming more widespread, that's the kind of shift in consciousness which can actually transform our destiny as a species on this planet. Well, it's giving the others dignity. I mean, because if you're, like in her case, if she was thinking better than, Mm. but then when you become one with it all. It's like giving everybody dignity. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we want to let people know about your website because you have so many things on the website that could be beneficial to anyone that goes in onto the website. Um, yes. So if you want to talk a little bit. You even have some free gifts that you give, so that's great. Yeah. So you can go there. We have two websites. One is my name, Arjuna Arda, Com. And then you can find out about the different books I've written and the different uh, courses I've developed. If you're interested in Awakening Coaching, which is what we've been talking about today, you can go to awakeningcoachingtraining.com, awakeningcoachingtraining.com. And then you can, uh, there's a, also a, a, a free little course you can take, which will introduce you to the different tools that we use in Awakening Coaching. And also it will invite you to um, pick up a copy of Better Than Sex, which uh, which goes into all of this in much more much greater depth. And uh, people could actually take courses um, over the the internet with you on on your website, right? Yeah, actually, our training is actually done over the web. Yeah, our training is done over the web and by phone because it's so much more efficient. You know, we can uh, we can train people from all over the world, and they don't have to travel. 
They don't have to take time off from work. They can simply uh, be on the phone once a week for two hours. And after 16 weeks, they, they have all the training they need to be able to use these tools in, their, um, in, their, in the work they already do. So how convenient can that be? You can just do it in your own yeah. home. <laughs> right, 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 exactly, yeah. As a matter of fact, we have a course starting this week. So if anybody's interested, you know, it'd be quite easy to uh, jump in and, uh, and participate. If you go to Awakening Coaching Training, there is a little, you can, on one of the menus, it says talk to an admissions counselor, and you can, you can talk to one of, our, one of our people, and they'll be able to answer all the questions and uh, see if this would be a good fit for any of your listeners. Uh, do you, you, make, you, you say that, um, that this began for you experiencing interest in spiritual awakening at the age of 14. Was there mm-hmm. anything in particular that, can you give a story how this began for you? Sure. It's not a pretty story, though. Uh, all of this began for me with intense, unbearable suffering. Um, I was, uh, you know, I was listening to a, a, a speaker. I went to a conference last week, and I listened to a speaker talking about how she grew up in poverty in a big city in, in, uh, in I think it was in Detroit. She grew up in poverty. Uh, she had a loving family, but she grew up in poverty, and she really worked hard and was able to um, dig her way out of poverty and now is very, very successful and very, very well known. And, but there's another kind of poverty that many of us uh, are born into, which is not a poverty of money. I, my family was quite wealthy, but my family had a poverty of happiness and well-being. You see, uh, there was a lot of mental illness in my family. Several people committed suicide in my immediate family. Um, tremendous suffering. So when you are little, when you're a little child, and you're born into a, a family where there's a lot of, uh, lot of dysfunction, when you're a little child, you don't, really, you don't have any way to evaluate that. Your family is your family, and beyond your family is the world. Small children, they don't have any way to, to compare their family to any other family. But when you become a teenager, 13, 14, when you go into puberty, that's the first time that you differentiate from your family and the first time you're able to evaluate the hand that you've been dealt. You know, what kind of family was I born into? Well, when I got to 14, I realized, oh, my God. <laughs> I realized, you know, as I, as I differentiated a little bit from my family and I realized other people didn't have to deal with quite such a high degree of um, emotional stress that there was in my family. And I, I realized that if I just followed the conditioning that my family had, you know, I would probably end up either committing suicide or, or being mentally ill. So that was, in a way, that's a, that's a horrible thing, you know, to, 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 re- to recognize that your genes are predisposed towards that kind of dysfunction. That's not a happy thing to discover as a teenager. But I realized, you know, that psychotherapy was not going to cut it. You know, I could see that <laughs> this was back in the 70s. The psychotherapists were, were just as crazy as their clients. You know? <laughs> so I looked, I looked around, what could there possibly be that could liberate you from that kind of um, conditioning of suffering? And that's how I discovered technology to transform consciousness. So I really dived into that. You know, I, I discovered meditation. But pretty quickly, you know, after a few years, I realized meditation on its own was not really going to cut it, that there, are, there was more required. And the more I explored different tools to transform consciousness, the more I realized, you know, that this is extremely practical. If you, if you understand it, you can really recreate your own destiny, no matter how much suffering or disadvantage you were born into, whether it was material or emotional or any other kind, you can transform your destiny by learning tools to change consciousness. You can actually rewrite your DNA. According to Bruce Lipton, when you change, when you dissolve beliefs, you actually can rewrite your DNA. So I've spent most of my life, you know, I'm 57 now since I was 14. I mean, how long is that? 40-something years. I spent most of my life exploring this. But as we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, 
I realized early on that a lot of these tools... Oops. You got oh, cut off again. Yeah. Let's, let's, this is so magnificent. Let's his... Hmm? This is so magnificent. I mean... So well, let's spell his name. Let's spell his name for the the listeners so that they can find his website. And it's for, it's a name Arjuna, and it's A R J U N A. His last name is Arda. It's A R D, like David. A I'm here. G H. Yes. Okay. We were just yeah. We we were just giving. Your web your website again while you were sorry about that I don't know what so what 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 went wrong um, yeah so you know the 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 way the reason that these tools are less accessible to people this stuff is very simple and it's very reliable too I mean it's not like haphazard it's really reliable the thing is we have to be able to differentiate between what is the unnecessary packaging and what is the actual gift for example. Um, uh, adopting different lifestyle, you know, uh, wearing different kind of clothes, uh, e- eating certain foods, all of that is packaging. It's not really necessary. You know, you can do it if you want to, but it's not necessary. Or, you know, having prayer flags, or that's all fine, but it's not absolutely necessary. The essence of these traditions are not really bound to any tradition at all. The essence of these, of what we have available to us are simple, practical tools that anyone can use to shift consciousness. And it becomes really a form of, a, it's more like a science, you know, than, than, than anything else. It's a very scientific, provable set of tools, which if you use them and understand them, they work completely and totally reliably to shift you out of belief and into freedom. Well, we can move mountains. <laughs> Arjuna, so I mean, powerful! My goodness, I, I mean, uh, you know, having the ability to walk with this magnificent support for all of humanity—I I mean, it really allows your brain to transition fluidly and happily. Now we know why you named the book better than sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, you know, I want to just add a little caveat to this. Thank you for recognizing that. We need to add a little caveat that um, we are, we are, I would say, in a challenging time right now on the planet. You know, I, I just heard that uh, Jerry Brown, the, the governor of California, just, you know, very soberly admitted that this was probably going to be the worst year ever for wildfires. We've actually, they've already been battling more wildfires this year, and it's just in May. They've, done, they've had to put out more fires this year than, in the, than they usually do in an entire year, and we're just the beginning of the season. So that's scary, you know. The thought that we may have a, a, a really long summer of fire uh, when we already have drought, that's a scary thought. And, I, you know, it's not fun to dwell on scary thoughts, but... I'm bringing this up just as an example. We could also look at the financial system. We could look at global warming. We could look at depletion of oil, all sorts of things. It is a scary time to be alive. It's not like you can just relax and go, everything's going to be fine. I mean, there, there are some very, very scary scenarios that we have to be wise about. And so it's good to have some humility, you know, that it's not, I'm not suggesting that what I teach or what other people like me teach is a magic bullet that's suddenly going to make everything perfect overnight. But it does give you the tools to have a stability of consciousness so that you're able to deal with difficult circumstances in a more graceful way and that you're able to become part of the solution. You know, you're able to meet challenge so that you can be a real, a genuine agent of awakening and transformation on the planet. You can really make a difference to people, really serve people in a profound and real way, and know that whatever the outcome over the next years for us as a race, you were part of the solution. You were part, you know that your life is dedicated to moving things in a more sane direction. And I think when you know that, you can relax. When you know that you've lived your life sanely and wisely, in a way that serves other people, then you can relax and feel good about your years here on this planet. We need to quickly get your website out. It's awakeningcoaching.com. 
www.ArtsTraining.com. Mm-hmm. And also you have another website, ArjunaArdaz.com, uh, and that's A-J-U-N-A-A-R-D-A-G-H.com. Mm. That's right. And, oh, my goodness, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Yes, this thank you. Uh, and personally, I look forward to working with your with you more on a deeper level. So thank you for being with Beautiful. us today. Please reach out. I'd love to have a conversation. Thank you so much to both of you, Paula and Taz. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.